This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Starting now. Um, yes. Let's, Welcome everybody to this episode. Stupid. To the, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not say anything stupid. Uh, that's hard for me to do. Uh, let me introduce this episode. First of all, those of you who are here on a podcast uh, listening platform, please look in the description of this episode and there you will see a couple of links that you can click in if you'd like to support my work. Uh, for those of you who are on YouTube, and that's where I would like you to be, look at these two beautiful faces. Uh, one, uh, one nice and uh, fuzzy and one nice and smooth, but two beautiful faces. We want you on YouTube. Same thing. Look at the description of this episode. You'll see a couple of links you can click into in order to support my work. So this episode, I will be speaking with a uh, newfound friend, Mr. Ross Lepel. How you doing, Ross? I'm doing well, John. How are you? I'm doing fine now. I had a little anxiety there wondering if we were going to be able to kick this thing off or not. <laughs> Some technical issues right? with the sound. I know, but, uh, it's working now. So we got it. We got glad it. To, two, glad, two br- glad we got it worked and figured out. Two two brilliant minds like ours. Of course, we're going to figure this out. <laughs> um, listen, man, I I want to start off by, um, and I've told you this before on the telephone. I'm in love with your podcast. Um, your first episode. Um, I almost said you came out swinging. You didn't come out swinging. You came out, but you but you came out positive. Um, uh, you came out quite um, exposed, um, yeah. and and I want to tell everybody, um, you know, my podcast is based on positivity, on learning experiences, motivation, and inspiration. But so is yours, Ross. And I want to tell anybody who's listening to me here, they need to go and check out your podcast as well, and start with episode one because there's a lot of magic that happens right there. You talk about things like self care. You talk about things like uh, breaking the chains. Uh, tell me about yeah. that first episode, and then we'll just expand from there. Well, a lot of the first episode is really me kind of explaining what Project Unchained is. And like going into kind of a bit of my story and my history in, you know, going all the way back to being a kid and getting bullied significantly as a kid. And that really tormented me pretty bad. I had very low self-worth, low self-confidence. I didn't really feel like I was worthy. And at its worst in, it was the summer after sixth grade going into seventh grade was when it was at its worst. And I, I just wanted to stop and I didn't know how to make any of it stop. Um, And I, I I got suicidal and I actually found my dad's pistol and loaded it up and put it in my mouth and the taste of the gun was awful and it was the slap in the face I needed in that moment to, to stop before I created any undoable harm on myself. And I was able to, you know, get through the rest of the summer thinking about like, you know, my family doesn't deserve to find me like that. My family doesn't deserve to find me dead. They love me. I have a caring family. You were actually Um, able to grab onto that thought at that young age. Um, because at that young age, we are notoriously selfish and we only think of ourselves for the most part, but you actually put your heart into what your family would experience if they were to find you after you took your own life. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, cause I like, I, you know, I sat on my, on the end of my mom and dad's bed and it would have been in their bedroom. And I, I thought that it was able to, it was able to shift my mind a bit and think that they yeah. didn't deserve to find that. But basically it was, was the taste, what, it was the taste of the gun in your mouth actually that kind of led you away from actually carrying through what you had planned to do. Yeah, man. That's it a was, fine line. Oh man. Wow. It was, it was, it was awful. Wow. It was, it was uh, fortunately it, it had a really awful taste and, you know, was kind of like, Oh, what, what is, yeah. what the fuck is this? What am I, what am I doing? It was that what figurative slap I in the face, right that figurative slap in the yeah. face that you needed to come yeah. to your senses. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yep. It was, it was needed. Cause I, like I say, I was in a real dark place. It was probably the lowest point in my life. Um, and like that kind of carried me through the summer until, you know, school started in seventh grade. I was, I found sports that kind of gave me somewhat of an outlet for my aggression. It was the first time I played football and it was like, Oh wow, I get to, I get to hit people and not get in trouble for it. Yeah. You know, take out some of my aggression and that gave me a bit of a release, uh, of that pent up anger inside of me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I think about it, like if we think about it, from uh, an emotional safety standpoint for kids, like I didn't have any place to release that anger and release right. those emotions safely. No. Right. I was always told, Oh, boys don't cry. Suck it up. Like, man, that is not giving me a safe space to deal with what's inside my head. I thought about that when you were saying that on that podcast episode, because you know, back then uh, I'm a little bit older than you, but back in those days, um, uh, I guess today we have a more kinder, gentler, more understanding world. And the way parents raise their kids today reflects that. Whereas back some years ago when you were small and when I was small, it was kind and I'm not saying that our all parents were a bunch of bitches and bastards back then. That's not what I'm saying. But it was, right. there, was a, there was a certain, yeah, that, that kind of suck it up attitude. You know, hey, man, you know, straighten up, suck it up. You'll be all right. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, yeah. Well, if you look at the way like world events that can shape people too, like, you know, my parents, parents went through like the great depression or, yeah. I mean, look at the end of the day, like it's a privilege to kind of like be at this level of healing. Right? Yes. Like we don't is. have to worry about fighting for survival. Yeah. We don't have to worry about what's for dinner tonight. That's right. Yeah. Right. So like we get to, we get to have bigger problems, more upgraded problems. And yeah. that's part of it is that now I can go on a bit of a spiritual journey because I don't have to worry about what's for dinner tonight. I already know what I'm cooking. Yeah. You talk about your spiritual journey. You also mentioned, um, I'm not sure if you use these exact words, but you were basically talking a little bit about, uh, self care in the interest of strengthening oneself, uh, through both body, mind, and spirit. Yeah. And you sound like a person um, uh, very similar to myself who believes that there has to be equal strength in all of those aspects of, of self. Yep. Uh, you know, you're a competitor, a competitive powerlifter at a high level. I am as well. And we know, uh, and here, and this is, this is kind of ties into what you were saying about sports at an early age. Uh, I also used uh, football and for a little while wrestling to, to get my frustrations out when I was young. Um, 
So, so you and I share that aspect, but right. as an adult, uh, uh, competitive athlete at a, at a high level, I tie in that spiritualness and that mental aspect into this physical thing. And it just gives a certain sense of peace. I'm sure you can identify with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, when I'm not, when I'm not right in the other areas of my life, my training's impacted yeah. Yeah. significantly. Yeah. Um, so that like making sure that all the things are, uh, in alignment is when all the things are flowing with greater ease Yeah, and yeah, it's, I, I look at it too. Like when all those things are in alignment and things are flowing with greater ease, like life stress is just, Oh yeah, absolutely. Right off. Like it's so much easier to deal with like, Oh, the tire went out today. Yeah. Whatever. I, I, vi- I visualize it, it um, in a visual sense, like it's a triangle and each corner is mm-hmm. one aspect of body, mind and spirit. And it's filled with an essence, a liquid or an essence, if you will. And if there's a hole in any one of those corners, that essence is going to leak out and it's going to make me less of what I can be. So that balance, that uh, that. Um, uh, yeah, that balance in body, mind, and spirit is important. But we, we got a little sidetracked, and that's my fault. I, I, I don't know <laughs> no if it's ADHD or whatever it is. But but back back to your story, back to when you were um, when you were a kid and you made it through that first summer, and then you start in on sports. Was your anxiety and depression and possibly anger gone immediately, or are we talking about a several year long process before you started to feel? well about yourself and about your life? You know, it, it it gave me a place to work out my anger enough so that I wasn't in that darkest place where I wasn't suicidal. Okay. Like I was still definitely had, uh, I I wasn't the most confident kid. Mm -hmm. And that was in a sense, what a lot of sports did for me was it gave me a place to develop some confidence because yes. I was good at football. Yeah. I was, I was good at basketball, but I didn't like it as much. So I didn't play it as long. I played for two years and then focused on football and, uh, ran track. And that's when I found the weight room was later that year in seventh grade. The first, well, like mm-hmm. one of my track practices went down to the, into the local, uh, into our, our weight room in the high school. Yeah. And that was an experience like day one, I walk into the weight room and, you know, one of the senior captains of the track team, captain of the football team, captain of the basketball team, you know, like the homecoming king, like everybody in the school, like looks up to this kid and wants to be this kid greets me like, oh, what are you doing in here? You're just a weak little bitch. You won't be anybody no matter what you do. And I was like, uh, well, that is not a I, good introduction. I don't know how to handle this situation right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And one of the other, one of the other seniors who is, you know, another person that I kind of idolized, who's captain of the football team and captain of the track team, uh, popped up off the bench press and, hey, you don't talk to anybody like that in my weight room. Get the hell out of here. And, uh, and kicked him out of the weight room. Well, God came bless over him. And asked if I, right? And came over and asked if I wanted to, if I was here to learn how to lift weights. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, well, I'm benching today, so let's go teach you how to bench. And I suppose that's why one of the big reasons why bench is kind of my favorite lift is that's right. You're a bench guy. Yeah, that emotional tie to that to that day. 
Well, that guy probably, that was probably a very pivotal moment in your life because if he wouldn't have come to your rescue, if I can use that phrase, you might've just turned around and never gone back to the gym. I mean, that's yeah, how it's definitely possible. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and a lot of young guys at that age, uh, it takes a lot for them to make that, f- take that first step and actually go into a gym. You know, you're kind of, you know, your hormones are just starting to kick into gear. You've, you're mm-hmm. very self-conscious about your body and everything. And if you're met in that way, it might keep you from ever going back. So God, right. God bless that guy that came and helped you out. Yep. For sure. I, 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 I agree. And, you know, learned how to bench that day and it was great. Um, really enjoyed it. Fell in love with, uh, with training, like right away to the point where, um, let's see, we're our, we lived about seven, little more than seven miles from the school. Okay. And I didn't have a a ride to the gym in the summer. So I rode my bike both ways just to go be able to go lift weights. Uh, every now and again, I'd get a ride. But most days, most days I just had to rely on my, my pedaling. Gosh, that takes me back. Only the first like half a mile was on dirt and the rest was paved. Uh, It takes me back. I was the the same way. I was the same way. I can remember going into that weight room uh, the summer before eighth grade football uh, during two days and everything. And, and that was, that was bicycle. And um, maybe that's the the beginning of my, um, you know, I, I had started working out at home. I think I was maybe around 10 years old, you know, lifting mm-hmm. with those plastic that weights that are filled with concrete, uh, uh, doing that kind of mm-hmm. stuff at home. But I think my first formal weight training was, was that summer before eighth grade football. I had some great coaches. And I think that's mm-hmm. when I really started to realize what sports and in particular lifting weights would do for me, not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally. Yeah. So we share yeah. we share a couple of things in common then when it comes to yeah. to the sports and everything. So so yeah, so 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 you start um, you start training. You find a thing with bench that you like. Uh, you continue with sports and everything. But how how is your mental health? Let's say if you if we come up to maybe your sophomore year in high school, how are you with your mental health? How are you emotionally? How are you when it has to do with self confidence? Um, better? at that point, um, yeah, better, but still, when I look back at it, it still wasn't good. No, you know, I, I still wasn't a confident individual. I still didn't value myself. I yeah. still very much, uh, but I didn't know it. Right. Like I didn't know how to, yes, I didn't have anybody to talk to in that realm, but right you know, yeah. now that I know and understand it, like I was using those things to validate myself. Right. Rather right. than having a, my own validation and validating my own self-worth for me. Yes. I was using those things to be good. Oh, I'm stronger than you. I'm better football player than you. So you must validate who I am. Yes. Like, but that's not sustainable. And I would think, that, you know, using my own situation uh, when I was at that age, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, even up into early adulthood, what perspective does one have? You don't really, you don't really know what to compare your feelings and your emotions to. You don't know that you're depressed. You just know that you feel the way you feel. You don't really know that you have possibly social anxiety. You just know 
that you get uncomfortable in certain situations and you don't really at that age have the life experience to be able to put it in perspective and say, ah, this is my problem. This is why this is the way it is. You don't really know that at that age. And it kind of can have that snowball effect because you can't treat it. You can't express it. And you may not have, like, as you say, you may not have anyone to speak with about it. Yeah. 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 You have it. You don't know, you can't even acknowledge it and you can't even begin to acknowledge it because you don't have a safe space to talk about those things. So you internalize it and that just makes things worse. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so, I mean, in complete all honesty, like I didn't have any realization of really where I was at until I was like 28 years old. Isn't that the way it is though? You, that's what, that's the way it was for me. I looked back as yeah, mid late twenties. And even now, sometimes I'll, something will just click in my head. I'll be like, okay, that's what I was experiencing then. That's what my problem was. That's what my issue was. But it takes that life experience to kind of catch up with what you've internalized and then you can put words on it and then you can deal with it sometimes 10, 20 years later. That that's definitely true. Um, and I, and I don't, uh, I don't disagree with that. The, the thing that I strive for though is to like talk about these things now so that other people don't have to wait until they're 28 years old to deal with their shit to unpack their trauma <clears throat> to unpack their feelings yes um, because si- silence much- just silence just allows the problem to snowball you've got to speak yeah. Well, I don't want to say you have to, but I truly, I'm a proponent of speaking out. I'm a proponent of getting things off my shoulders. Why do I want to carry that weight around? Is that kind of the way you're looking at it? If to speak on it frees you of the burden, doesn't necessarily mean everything is perfect, but it will free you of that burden of silence because silence is a burden when it comes to self-help and mental health. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I very much am in that space now where if, if I'm having that conversation in my head, that is my yes. signal that I need to be having that conversation out loud. Yeah. And yeah. almost, and I, I've gotten to that point now, like I have that realization. So then when I do say it out loud, I'm, I acknowledge it differently with a different energy and I'm able to connect with it and connect with whatever shift and change I need to make and create to keep moving forward from whatever it is in my head. But at that time, like I didn't know. No. And I think if we're having, you know, the more podcasts that are out there like this, the more people talking about this, the more we're going to connect with a younger generation so that they can do it. Like I look at it as one of my biggest motivational factors for being on a healing journey now is my daughter. Ah, uh, yes. Because any trauma that I don't unpack. Of course. I am going to bring that into my parenting, whether I'm aware of it or not. Yep. And if I don't unpack it and it comes into my parenting, I'm going to put that into her. Yeah, we don't want it's our children to inherit. Trauma. We don't want our children to inherit that baggage. And, and yeah, you've got to get it out. You've got to deal with it or else they will inherit it. Absolutely. And bless you for saying that because a lot of, I don't know, I think a lot of parents realize that that's the case, but they don't have the wherewithal or the strength or maybe the tools to actually start working with that so that their so that their children don't inherit their issues. Right. But it's also, it's really hard to look in the mirror and be like, sure. Yeah. 
look at your mirror and call your own shit. Yeah. How hard was it for you? Out. How hard was it for you to um, talk, talk a little bit about the process before that first episode? Because again, you came out by telling people uh, that you were suicidal at such a young age. You talked about some of your fears. You talked about some of the things that you strive to um, to erase or, to, or strive to, to, to make better within yourself. And that takes a special kind of person to do that. So it's not something where you decided five minutes before you went on the mic that that's what you were going to do, right. right? You know, so I'm sure there was For a sure. process. T tell me a little bit about that process. How did you, how did you man up, if I can use that term, to doing that episode? Um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a long time in the making. How, um, how long? I was incredibly I was incredibly silent about it for a long time. Mm. I didn't tell a single person about being suicidal until I was in college. And I told my roommate at the time and kid I went to high school with at the time, um, we were, we got really close. We were, uh, renting a, a apartment together and, and I told him, so I was, you know, 20 years old, the first time I ever told anybody. And then even then, even after that, I still didn't talk about it with anybody pretty much ever, mm. um, until when I was 28 years old and I entered into a relationship with my partner, Vanessa. At the time, it was a non-monogamous relationship. And that like spiraled my head in so many different directions. Like here is this woman that I really cared about. I had a lot of feelings for. And, you know, she had another boyfriend and we all like got along and we found out what polyamorous relationships were and we're like, all right, well, let's, let's give it a try. Let's try Boom. that. Yeah. Heal all this shit of insecurities that all I did, I realized at that moment that all I was doing with lifting and sports was pushing that oh, away okay. and not dealing with it. I see. I and see. I was just using all that external validation to stuff away my shit. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, I was, Man, I was mowing the lawn one day and I just went down a rabbit hole that was scary and dark. Oh man. And the anxiety was real. Like it was it was rough. It was a tough moment. And I had that realization that like, man, not one time has lifting or sports helped me actually get over my shit. I am like this is I have all this stuff I don't know how to deal with, but I know that I really care about Vanessa and I, I, I want to explore this yeah. relationship. I want to explore this opportunity to learn and grow. Um, so I hired a life coach and worked with a life coach for a while to start. Okay. What is this process? How do yeah. I actually start unpacking all these insecurities and all these thoughts in my head? How do I like, cause my brain was going a freaking million miles an hour. Well, sure. All yeah. over the place. That and jealousy no and insecurity. Slow it down. Yeah. To understand any of it for half a second. Well, yeah, and that jealousy so that and was, insecurity will tie your brain in knots. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Big time. <laughs> Big time. And that was one of the biggest things that I learned from that polyamorous experience was like, you know, it's not for everybody. It's hard. It's a lot of work, but it can be done for but, yourself. Yeah. Right. It can be done, but, but if you're not right for yourself, <laughs> yeah. you're going to have a hard time. Yes. And I thought that was really cool because it like 
the monogamous relationships, you can almost forget about that stuff. None yeah. of that stuff comes right. up as much right. or as intensely. But it really boiled up to the surface and I was like, whoa, I got to deal with this. And I start as I started to deal with it, I, I realized I'm like, man, I've been walking around with this in my head for my entire life. Like, what is this? This is drastically limiting my life in every way, shape and form in every experience I have, whether it be work, professional, social, romantic. Yeah. Like every every bit of my life has been controlled by all these insecurities and I I've had enough. Now, let me I ask wanna, you, let me ask you this at that time. Uh, you were a power lifter by then, right? Yes. And from what I understand, you've, you've always been, uh, you've never been a bad power lifter. You've always been, uh, at least, at least decent, if not first place on, on the platform. And even those experiences, because, uh, I'm here to tell you sports fans, powerlifting for me anyway, and I've played a lot of different sports for me, powerlifting is the sport that gives you the mess, the, the, the most, um, uh, uh, personal satisfaction because it's literally just you and what you are able to perform. So even with the first place trophies that you've had, even with the success and notoriety that you had in powerlifting by that time, you still didn't have the self-confidence to kind of feel secure in that polyamorous relationship or uh, did you still not have the discipline either to discipline literally discipline yourself to deal with your personal issues. Powerlifting and sports still hadn't done that for you at that point. No, not at that point. Okay. Not at that point, but it was, I had a shift uh, after I had started that healing journey and working with the life coach that it was, that's when I finally had a shift with sports and a shift with powerlifting and had the realization that, you know, what I was supposed to get from that and do get from that still is that like the discipline that it takes to, you know, put five more pounds or five more kilos on your lift. Like that's the same discipline it takes for me yeah. to care for myself and get my head right and build the self-confidence and build internal validation and self-worth so that now that that's created, I can walk into any room and, be confident in who and what I am. And it took the, and I don't it, need somebody else to do that for me. I can do it for myself. But it took the, it took the, uh, um, the, uh, the hiring of a life coach to make you aware of that potential healing power in powerlifting. That's something that you, in other words, I guess, were you just using powerlifting and sports as a crutch, but the life coach oh, taught oh, yeah. you how to use it as a more, um, expansive and more encompassing tool than just a crutch. Well, the life coach didn't even like hit on that so much specifically. Okay. okay. Right. It, it was, that was a little bit more of a realization later on after I had worked with the life coach. I see. Um, I see. I worked the life coach that I worked with at that time was a polyamorous coach as well. Okay. So I was working a more in the realm of like oh. the relationship and the insecurities. Okay. So even and though that spiraled into like my own self-care and healing and unpacking more of the other stuff. Okay. And it was actually a conversation with Mark Robb one time. Shout out to, uh, to we Mark Robb. Uh, shout out to yep, Mark Robb. Shout out to Mark Robb for sure. Um, it was at, uh, 
I forget which Arnold it was a couple years ago. Uh, us RTS coaches were all in the Airbnb together and, and I told him about stuff that I've been working on and I had been, uh, one of the speeches that I've been working on and developing to want to go, uh, do some public speaking for, for kids and youth and bring some suicidal awareness conversations and mental health conversations to younger kids. I like practice that speech with them to, you know, get some practice with it and get their feedback and they all liked it. And, uh, I, something, something snowballed the conversation between Mark and I, and I told him like, you know, there's days when I struggle with why am I, why do I lift weights? Like I struggle sometimes with that. Why? Like what, what has this served me? Like I used it for a crutch to, to stuff this stuff away for so long. Yeah. Like what, what is the point? And he's like, oh man, it's all about the perspective. Like you learned the discipline it takes to get your physical right and it's that same discipline to get your physical right that it takes to get your head right that's what i was getting at when i was asking you about was it a crutch and how long did it stay just a crutch and when did you actually find out that it can be medicine for me powerlifting is medicine (laughs) it's it's yeah it's it's medicine but what i but just about and all and i think about it john i want one thing to rip on with that sure right like it was a crutch and became a crutch for a very specific reason, right? Like, um, our culture has become so conditioned to be unconscious. Yeah. Right. We watch an ass ton of television. We watch football every Sunday. We don't miss a game now because we got direct TV. I'm watching every single game all Sunday long. Uh, we watch all these TV shows. Yeah. So I'm going to drink all this beer while I do it. And, you know, I got into college and I became a bit of a partier. Okay. And yeah. like a lot of that partying, I didn't realize what I was really doing in that moment, but I can look back at that now from a more mm. conscious sober lens. Like a lot of that was also okay. me in a way numbing out the pain right? and not right. being conscious and present in my life. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't have that awareness to be introspective enough to actually even realize what was going on. It's, it's almost impossible. I mean, there's a lot of uh, studies out there but uh, that, that talk about the, 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 the maturing of the specifically the male brain. And they say that males are not cognitively mature until around 30, 31 years old. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so, so, so when you mentioned, you know, things that you were doing back in your college days, uh, well, your brain wasn't grown up yet, so... <laughs> Right. <laughs> but what, sure. what what school what school did you go to? Uh, I went to a small community college in northern Minnesota for two years. Okay. Uh, so I could play football, and then I transferred out to uh, University of North Dakota for my engineering degree. So, so during those those college years, were you aware of your reason for being there? Because this happens a lot, and, and maybe I'm speaking a lot about myself. Um, I almost want to say I was too young to go to college when I went to college. I went uh, on a football scholarship, full ride football scholarship to Ohio University. And I'm not the kind of person who tries to roll back the years and say, I wish I would have done this, that or the other. But I will say this, in those college years, I just didn't have the focus. I didn't really understand why I was there. I was dealing with all of those 
things that we're talking about, you know, the, 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 the self-image, the insecurity and all that stuff. And that was what was occupying my mind and not the schooling. So with you having a childhood and, and up into your teenage years, years with so much, you know, anxiety, uh, uh, depression and, and, uh, um, and issues like that to deal with, how were you able to, or how, how much were you able to focus on the task at hand when you then went to college? Um, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. A lot of guys. College. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. There's a little bit of del a delay on the camera here. So I didn't know you were talking oh. yet. Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. No, sorry. Um, when I was at the community college, I did really well. Okay. Um, I, I didn't do so well right out of the gate because I was playing football that first year. Mm -hmm. And that was very time demanding. Yes. <laughs> like it, incredibly time demanding. Yes. And so it wasn't until Christmas break, my freshman year that I decided like, man, like I'm just a slow, short white kid. I'm not, gonna, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting my ass kicked every day. Like, <laughs> I'm, I, I was a, I was a big fish in a little pond and now I'm a little fish in a big uh, pond. Like, I see. Okay. You know, I yeah. like, there's my athletic build. I'm five foot seven. There's like one five foot seven person that's been in the NFL you know, in the past like, five what years. What position like, did you play? Uh, I was a running back. Okay. And yeah. then I, so, he transferred me over to defensive nose because. Oh, at five right. foot seven? Yeah. Good well, God. <laughs> so being a running back and I wasn't a starter, so I played scout defense a lot. Okay. And I was beating our offense at my, my first two steps off the line. The second the ball was snapped is, was lightning fast. Like nobody, it was really hard for anybody gotcha, to keep up. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. So like my swims and my rips were, I'd be by you before the ball was okay. even through into the quarterback's hand. Okay, good move so then, like good move. First, I was questioning that move from running back to nose tackle right. at uh, at uh, at five foot seven. I'm, I'm right. five foot eight. I was a, I was a tailback, uh, but my shortness served me because I'm, I'm thick as can be. So being short right. and quick like that, I was able to, yeah. Yeah. So they, they saw that and they wanted to put me on defensive nose and gave me some reps. Okay. And that was how I finally actually got on the field was on defensive nose. Gotcha. But it was definitely one of those things. If I, if I mistimed it, if I didn't get my jump, I, that was, yeah. I didn't do nothing. Yeah. I would just drop down and make a pile. There you go. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> that's your job. <laughs> you know? So, and, uh, so, 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 so you did, you did okay then, uh, at the community college, but, but did, did something change then when you went to, um, where did you say you went to your second college? University of North Dakota. University of North Dakota. Did did things change when you went there and how did they change? Big time. Big time. Well, it's yeah. a huge school, yeah. much bigger school. Yeah. I just did. I'm just, I was at that point, I was still just a country boy. Uh, no diversity in my life at that oh, point. Oh God. I we, mean, we have so much in common. Oh my gosh. I can tell you my story later, but yes, go on, please. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the small town I was in, our high school was all in one building. And in fact, it wasn't just high school. It was kindergarten through 12th grade, all in one school, about 300 kids. Yeah. All, all white. There, there wasn't any diversity, hardly at all, in our school. There might have been one or two uh, Native Americans here or there. Yeah. Uh, I think there was one girl who was mixed. And otherwise that, like, there was no cultural diversity exposure at all. Sounds like so the, until I went off to college in that first year of football yeah. where half the team was from out of state. and. Yeah. 
you know, there is diversity there Yes, that I had that cultural exposure. So very sheltered life at that point. Right. And so I go off to UND and it's a giant ass school yeah. and I'm in my first class with more than 25, 30 kids. Okay. Yeah. Like, teachers there don't care about you. They really they, don't. They care about their lecture. They care about their funding for their studies. Otherwise, can you even remember studies too? Can you even remember any of your professors' names? I cannot remember a single name because they were so distant. They just didn't seek contact with the students back then. Right. I can remember a couple of my engineering okay. professors. Okay. Yeah. One. Uh, the thing was, like, when we got into some of the more specialized classes, the class sizes went down a little bit. I see, yeah. More down towards, like, 30 or 40. Okay, And yeah. so they were a little bit more personal than, like, your 102-level, yeah. 200-level courses. Yeah, yeah. But when you got into your 400-level courses, like, right, you actually got to converse with the teacher a little bit. <laughs> uh, you actually got to raise your hand in class because yeah. you're not in a lecture hall that's got 200 kids in it. So that initial— and that so, it, like— that initial experience and of walking into a big school like that, um, probably sh it, it probably shook you up a little bit. You were probably kind of getting to know yourself. Maybe your self-confidence was getting better. And then boom, here you are anonymous in this much larger environment. Am I, am I thinking right? Is that kind of what you're experiencing? That could be a way to put it. Yeah. That could be a way to put it. I wouldn't say that I was aware of it. In that sense. Again, yeah. Our bra your, <laughs> you your brain wasn't mature yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. When, when I got to North Dakota, it was at that point, I was not very mentally strong. And so uh, the, the teachers in the engineering school were primarily non-English speaking people. Like there's uh, some Chinese professors, there were some Indian professors yeah. and I struggled with the language barrier. I struggled wow. with the accents. Okay. And yeah. like, and, and that's <sighs> definitely been a hardship for me that still a little bit to this day is difficult for me. I do not, I struggle with other languages when, like when I go to IPF worlds and stuff and somebody <laughs> from another country yeah. tells me their name, I'm like, <laughs> what can, I need to work on that for a minute. So I get it. Yeah, and, yeah, and I gotta yeah. like stay with it for a minute to get to be able to point to yeah. I can pronounce her name. Okay, I, I understand like, that. I totally understand that. Absolutely. Yeah. You so, you live like, in Alaska now, right? No, now I'm in just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Oh yeah, but you 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 were in Alaska for a while, weren't you? Where did for I get that years. from? I'm I sorry. Was there say, for twelve years. For twelve years. Okay, yeah. So I wasn't too far off. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, outside of Atlanta now. Wow. So you've bounced yeah. around a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and where, where um, are, you, are you happy in the Atlanta area or do you, do you miss oh, yeah. back home in Minnesota or was it nicer in Alaska? I mean, they're so different. These places are so drastically different. Very different. Yeah. Very different. I, I sweat a lot in the summer. I'm perpetually wet. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, no, I, I love it. You know, I mean, I was... Vanessa and I were in a long distance relationship pretty much since the day we met. We met in 2012 and she was in Atlanta and I was in Alaska and our, our friendship was just, okay. we yeah. clicked. Yeah. And so we didn't really start our romantic, the actual romantic portion until about 
a year and a half, two years later. Okay. And we were long distance for, at that rate, then nearly six years before I decided like, well, I need to get out of here. And at that point, I'd already transitioned from engineering. I walked away from a 12-year career in engineering to coach for bike full-time. I'm going to talk about your coaching as well. Yeah. Had, uh, I mean, now I'm working online. I can go wherever I want. I was at that point already tired of Alaska and kind of wanted to move. uh, And that created the flexibility in my life that made that easy. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'm done with this. I want to, can I come down and live with you and be around you and Rosalie and be closer and, uh, have a, have a more, have a bigger role in each other's lives. And at that point it was like in a really good, healthy place for us for, for that to happen. And so it's really interesting. It made the move really easy. It's really interesting that you, uh, the way your relationship with her has developed, you know, it starts with this, um, you know, a long distance friendship, uh, uh, which builds into a more intimate relationship, which then becomes, uh, a polyamorous, which then results in, 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 uh, counseling and advice, from a life coach, which then leads to what you have today. That's quite the dynamic relationship. Right. Which has also grown and is quite different to this day now. Sure. Uh, sure. Vanessa and I have moved on from polyamory and we're monogamous together. Yeah. Um, we grew to the point where basically we came to the realization that for us having the polyamorous idea, it was still a distraction from the capacity of our depth. And that is such a wise a statement. Deeper. That statement right there entails a lot of deep thinking and self-realization. That's a wise statement to say. I love yeah. it. Yeah, I love and it. it. I mean, it wasn't easy to get to that point. That's for sure. There was definitely no. a bit of struggle for us to reach sure. that that point. But sure, it was, I can uh, imagine. Once we did get there, uh, it's well, been really cool to see just how deep a romantic relationship can actually go well compared to what compared to what I thought they were capable of before like and your relationship has been truly tried and tested I mean you guys have been through the hot box and 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 here you are now forged into something that's probably a you know 10 times stronger than what it was when you first started big time yeah it's beautiful man that's a beautiful story yeah there's a lot of beautiful stories with you. Um, I'm going to talk to you about your coaching, uh, your powerlifting coaching or, or strength training coaching. But first, I want to mm-hmm. ask you about your public speaking because you you get out there and you speak to youngsters, right? No, not you don't. Yet. That is part of my intention. Okay, you're that going to do that. Okay, you're going to do um, that. Yeah. I had been working on a few different speeches to to do that. Okay. Um, and then I thought. I thought about, um, man, if I just, I felt like if I just go to a high school and go to the principal, be like, Hey, I want to talk to your kids. Okay. What's your resume? Oh, I don't have one. I just, I have this speech here. That's really good. I want to re- I want to, I want to tell it to your kids. I'm going to get told to go away. So that's well, when I was like, okay, I need to start creating resume. And that's when I thought, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do a podcast. Let's, there you let's go. Get out there and start doing a podcast and put that out there. And that is will help start building that resume of this is what these are the things that I have to talk about and the stories that I have to share that I feel can be impactful 
for other people. Isn't it cool, and, this whole thing with podcasting, that it can and it is used as a resume? People can go and click in on any episode that they want. And because you have the type of podcast that you have, they will know exactly who you are and exactly what you stand for and exactly what right. your mission is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that's kind of what started the idea of yeah. the podcast. Um, and then as well, like, uh, COVID hit and I'm like, well, I'm not yeah. going to get into a school now. They're not going to let like random ass people in. And I don't want to, I'm going to have to wait till all this is done. I don't want to try and give a public speak with a mat public speech, uh, in a mask and different things of that nature. So yeah, yeah. we're just going to, uh, you know, that's still the intention. That's still like the goal. I just have to take a different path there than what was originally, uh, thought of. And that's fine. I have a suggestion. What do you think of this? Uh, okay, you can't get out there <clears throat> uh, because of COVID. So you can't give a, a, a speech or a seminar face to face, you know, with, with, with schools. Uh, but what about having an online product that has different modules that you have on a website and, and schools or individuals can pay X amount of dollars for a certain amount of your module or the whole thing, you know, you break it up however you want and it's, mm -hmm. and then it's there. And then it's, it can also, you can also update it, which of course yep. will then alter the price or maybe it's just a, a set price per module. How about that? And then, you know, and then that's a middle finger to Corona. Then you can get out there and you can still do what you want to do, but you're just doing it online in a set format. For sure. For sure. There you go. Um, Yep. Free advice. No, there there are, you go. Uh, free, free business advice. <laughs> and, and there are, there are things, uh, that, that are on that line that are on that concept that are in the works. Ah, there you go. Um, but that gave me some expanded ideas on that, on the, on the stuff that I'm working on on the side right now. Wait, um, I'm just, I'm just trying so, to show the love, my friend. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it really, it just comes down to time. And I don't have, you know, yeah, working, you're a busy coaching. Guy. You're a busy and guy. And yeah. I'm very, the, the family time is very important to me. Sure. So I don't want sure. to tap into that too much. Um, you know, because one of the things that I think about with my journey is, you know, my parents, they were great, right? They weren't, we do things differently. I want to parent differently than them for different reasons. Yeah. I love them to death. I hold no animosity to them whatsoever. Um, but there's lots of times when they weren't present. And there's lots of times that they weren't present because they had to, you know, go work and yeah. make money and put food on the table. Yeah. And especially, especially my dad. Like yeah. He was a wildland firefighter. So there was lots oh, of times wow. when he was gone for months on, <laughs> on end out sure. fighting fires. Yeah. I wow. wouldn't see him for months. Um, he probably traveled all over the country, right? Yeah. 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 All over the country. Yep. And like, I, I've realized as an older adult now that like, that hurt me as a kid. Yeah. I didn't realize it, but that hurt me as a kid. Yeah. And I, so I want to make sure that I'm more present for Rosalie yeah. and be in her life on a regular basis. Uh, I love the flexibility and autonomy and work. Like, 
Oh yeah. Okay. Let's keep Rosalie home for today. Let's play hooky. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll work. I'll yeah. work tonight when she's in bed. Yeah. Isn't that great? I'm going to, yeah. I'm working from home as so, well. And I tell you, it's, it, it is a luxury. It is a, it gives a certain peace of mind. It gives a feeling of control. Um, it just brings more peace. I found, you know, I've done the oh, nine yeah. to five thing. I was a police officer before I worked in law enforcement here in Norway as well. Um, nothing beats working from home doing my own thing. Nothing beats that. The freedom, the, yeah. the, the peace of mind is you can't compare it to anything else. Yeah, I, I agree. So, so let's talk about your coaching. How many, uh, how many clients are you coaching now? Uh, I, it's around, it's right around 40. Because reactive training systems, if I'm not mistaken, is the coaching organization, the training organization in USAPL that has had the most national champions? I've heard that before. Is that true? Um, I, I think it might be, but I, I do believe I it is. wouldn't want to say that for sure because yeah. there's definitely a lot of other companies out there that have there are. Oh, yeah. highly talented Sure, rosters. sure. Yeah, and I'm not trying to say anything bad yeah. about anybody else. I'm just trying to elevate you guys. And I have heard that said before, that, that RTS, Reactive Training Systems, is the organization that has the most national champions. I, the thing that I tend to observe on that is... To me, I feel like our roster is a bit smaller on the national level, but when we go to IPF Worlds, our roster is substantially larger than other platforms. Maybe that's maybe that's what I had heard. On the international level, you guys have... Okay, that's yeah. probably what I have heard. Yeah. Because over half my roster is not in the U.S. Right, yeah. I pro yeah, I probably am misremembering uh, 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 what I heard at one point. It's probably right. international level champions. You guys are the organization that has yes, yeah, yeah. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure we have athletes on every continent except for obviously Antarctica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, which is really cool. I, I absolutely, I, I love it. I love being able to well, that's high status. That diversity and connect with people from all over the world. And a, a lot of times I feel like I learn just as much from them and, and their different cultural influences and find how, if I pay attention to what, what I'm doing and what I'm working on with that athlete from some other country, there's something in their culture that impacts how they train that I can use to elevate my coaching. I can use to elevate my lifting and my training. And it, I think it's really cool. It's been impactful. Uh, one of the like easiest examples is uh, the technical standards for European lifters that they like adhere and apply to themselves yes. naturally yes. without me enforcing it on them is significant in the lifting technical standard of lifters in the U.S. I can attest to that. As an American power lifter living in Norway, the Norwegian lifters, they train quite differently right. than American than American uh, power lifters do. There is something with yeah. the culture, with the, I don't know if it's work ethic. I, 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 I don't know what it is, but they just train in such a, it's, it's 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 more it's more structured this plus this equals that um 
Yeah, I don't know how to you put it. It's, it's hard it to is. put words on it, but there is a difference. I I tend to think of it, uh, if we look at like personality profiles, I think it, I mean, I have no data to substantiate this. This is definitely just a hunch. So yeah. everybody listening, take it with a grain <laughs> of salt. But if you were to compare like personality assessments, I would suspect that neuroticism levels are lower for Europeans generally yes. speaking than us people especially which, here in norway especially here in norway i also want to point out that i also think neuroticism is the personality profile trait that we have the ability to control the most and change if we don't want it to be high there is an ability to decrease that and i am an example of that, my neuroticism score has continued to trend downward the more self-care and training, mental training and things of that nature that yeah. I do. How and do I think about it like, you know, I used to suffer significantly from social anxiety. Like I'd yeah. walk into a room and my brain would immediately go, why is everybody looking at me? Yes. What are they thinking about me? do they hate me? Do they like me? What's going on to now to a point where I would be like 2017 when I gave my first like public speech that I had gave mm. in pretty much since college and I graduated in 2007. So it was my first public speaking adventure in 10 years when I gave a lecture in one of our RTS seminars on mental training. And I was nervous as all get out. <laughs> I had my presentation ready I had all kinds of notes in my like presenter mode so yeah. that I could keep myself on track and read them and say the things that I wanted to say. And like it, it went well, I did all right, but it did end up being quite a bit of reading. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fast tracking to, uh, December, 2019 when the Denmark Federation wanted to hire RTS to do a couple of seminars and I was available to do it. So I took it on and I went over there and I had two full days of nothing but lectures yeah. all by myself, yeah. which was scary because a lot of times when we travel as like the RTS team, if somebody asks a question, a lot of times, we, well, I'll just be quiet and Michael answer. We yeah. can, we got Mike yeah. to lean on, right? Yeah. I didn't have that crutch anymore. It's, it's all me. And I also decided to, all right, man, it's time to, it's time to, it's time to do this. And I didn't put a single note in my presenter notes with the okay. exception of one slide that I needed to remember specific numbers to. Could it be that? Otherwise, so I went up there with just the slides. Well, could it be that no all notes. the notes were a crutch back to this whole thing about having a crutch? Yeah. Yeah. So you And went in there and just crushed it. There you go. There you go. You know, and I was so pumped and, you know, Vanessa was traveling with me. So she got to, to see it and she's like, Whoa, what happened to you? How'd you do that? Like, <laughs> I just decided to do it. Just you know, made the choice to do it. Very often. That's really all it takes. I mean, we are our own worst critics. We are our own heaviest burdens. We mm -hmm. hold ourselves back. And sometimes it takes that, uh, Sometimes you don't even realize it that you've let go of a crutch. Sometimes just the the urgency of a situation puts you in that position where you're not using your crutch. You're not holding anything back. You do it 
whatever you have to do, whether it's that speech or, or some sort of presentation or whatever it may be. And then afterwards, you're like, oh, wait a minute. I just grew a little bit. Right. You know? Yeah. That growth, sure. that personal growth comes sneaking up on you sometimes. You don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was cool. Like before, before the first day one started, um, one of the things that I was doing for myself to mentally prepare for that moment of walking in the room and all those people there, or me being in the room, setting up and seeing all the people pouring in the room uh-huh. was like, you know, the, the social, ang- the, the social anxiety that I struggled with was always like, when I'd see those people would be me worrying about what they're thinking about. Me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, I can choose the way I, talk with myself and about myself, I get to choose that internal dialogue. And so I just need to reframe it to something that calms me down. And so I reframed it to, instead of worrying about what these people are thinking about me, I change it to all these people are here because they think I have something important to say. There you go. And I believe that I have something important to say, and I want to add value to their life. So let's just and and Let's isn't that such a simple that. isn't that such a simple mental exercise that then brings about enormous results so yeah. that but 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 that simple that simple the simpleness in that exercise is quite difficult there's still a lot of difficulty over here to get to that and and again that goes back to what i was saying about we we get in our own way we are our greatest hindrance our, our heaviest weight it's in our, it's us right. it's 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 that individual it's you. It's me. Yep. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And it's a process. It takes a while to yes. get there. I yes, think a it lot does. of people give up because they're like, oh, well, I can't just make a choice. It's hard. And then they stop because it's hard. Well, it's definitely taken a lot of work to get to the point where I can flip it on like yeah. a switch. Yeah. Well, practice. And it wasn't always yeah. that easy. No, but practice. <laughs> it wasn't always that easy. Exactly. But right. practice makes it easier. You start to realize what it takes to flip that switch. And then off you go. Um, yeah. As a coach with so many clients, um, uh, you kind of alluded to the fact that you learn a lot uh, from your clients. Um, what do you think they're learning from you? Of course, they're learning how to get stronger, how to train more effectively, and, and, and so on. But above and beyond that, what do you think they're learning from you? Yeah, A lot of times, I really like to hold space for the people that I work with to have and know that they have a safe space in me to have conversations about their life and not just the sets and reps. Yeah. And so I really like to have those conversations when we get to that point and we can have that develop that relationship with one another where they have that safe space where they can come and chat with me about life things that are going on. And then that opens the door to us having different conversations that can empower them to show up a little bit differently, show up in a different, break their pattern, break their chains that hold them down and limit their life. And they can, they can choose to show up a little bit differently. Yeah. And as a result, when they show up differently, they have, you know, an elevated life experience and, like when that happens, I really, I feel like the PRs and their lifting follow because now sure. they're excited and energetic about life. And when you're excited and energetic about life, 
everything else flows and is so much easier. Well, it's that balance again, body, mind, and spirit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So not only, uh, to me, a a real coach, um, a most effective coach also functions sometimes as a type of counselor, as a type of confidant, um, as a type of friend, as a listener. Yeah. And, and, that that falls right in line with what you're saying about what you provide uh, for your for your clients. Yeah. How do you though find time, or, or is it or is it an issue? Is it a, is it a, a a challenge then to find time to work on yourself when you have to give so much of yourself to so many different clients? Um, I don't find it difficult to work on myself because I've, I've become, I've at a point where like, I know that like my self care regimen is what keeps me going. It was, it's what keeps the cup full. Um, I can't give from an empty cup. Um, and I, I know that like, those are things that I have to maintain in my life. Yeah. Uh, they're the, they're the cornerstone. They're the foundation of where I'm at and who I am um, and what I believe. And so there's definitely, there's several things that I have set up from a, like a, a structure of the day standpoint yes. yeah. that creates that time and space okay. for that specifically. Every, every morning uh, I'm pretty much generally always the first one up around here. Yeah. And so uh, I come downstairs and I do uh, chakra meditations to start my day. To, chakra meditation, what's that? You know, um, there's a bunch of different like uh, chakra healing stuff. You know, your your energy centers in your body, uh, your root chakra, your sacral chakra. Oh, I'm sorry, chakra. I thought I thought you said chakra. Yes, I'm sorry. I miss I miss oh, heard yeah. you chakra. chakra. Yes, I'm with you now. No worries. I'm with you. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> yep. No worries. Uh, so I start my day off when I get downstairs with a, a chakra meditation and usually I just rotate between the different chakras, yeah. you know, one what day one is the root chakra and then so yeah. on and so forth throughout the week. Um, I'm telling you people, and, anybody listening or watching meditation is good medicine. Oh yes. Good medicine oh, daily, daily. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm I with agree. you. I'm with you. So I'll start. I have that space. That's what I do every morning when I start and then have breakfast, come downstairs to start work. But before I start work, as my computer's turning on, I have a like uh, a list of like power statements, affirmation statements. Uh, a lot of people have called it like an upward spiral guide where basically I take like different characteristics that I want to ensure that I embody. Yes. Right. Like I want to be a man of integrity. That is like my first one. Do you have it written down? Uh, you said? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I have it. I have it written down. Uh, it's my bookmark for my journal. Oh, I so love it. every day before I start work, I pull it out and I love it. And I, uh, I read it out loud. I love myself. it. I love um, it. Um, and then I start my work day and then breaks that I have set up for myself throughout the work day are, uh, one is body breath exercises. Uh, Vanessa, uh, 
does stuff called uh, somatic respiratory integration, where it's breathing exercises to get out of your yes. get out of your head and yeah. feel what's in your body and feel what's alive inside your body. Another form of active meditation, actually. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Uh, so I'll do that at least once a day, yeah. sometimes twice a day, depending on on uh, what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and then I also have a reading break scheduled where I'll read whatever, whatever I'm reading in that moment, in that day, uh, read that, that book. And then sometimes I also have a journal entry a day, but that varies depending on the book I'm reading. If the book I'm reading has like interactive questions, then I'll read and journal at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Do you right. publish your journal like on a website or anything like that? A blog? No. No, that's just for your consumption then. That's just for yeah. my consumption. Yeah. That's definitely like I I mean there's <laughs> it's funny, right? So like uh I'm I'm big on some of the masculine books and evolving who I am as a man yeah. and being more centered and connected with my masculinity. Yeah. Because a, a lot of times like there's shit and that's been put on us as men yeah. that is not real. Men, yep. Yep. Real men don't cry. You know, journaling is for girls. Like that shit's so dumb. Like journaling it's very is for dumb. anybody that wants to journal. And that thing, that journal has been so effective and so powerful for me. And that's been a huge place. Like thinking about when we get ang anxious, right? Our yeah. minds start going yeah. like crazy a mile a minute. Yeah. Man, the journal is the best place to go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And slow down because you can't write as fast as you can think. Yeah. Yeah. So and a lot of people down. A lot of people do their journaling on uh, you know on a keyboard, you know, going into a uh, some sort of uh, uh, computer or, or tablet or something. But if you ask me, the best way to do it is to write because you are forced to slow down and something happens with that process, and what comes out on paper is very often much more detailed than what would come out on a computer screen. Just yeah. a little advice for anybody listening. Write it down rather than type it in. Yeah. yeah. And it's huge. It is. I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> love and it's it. not it's just for girls. Me. I'm telling you, it's not just for girls. Guys, start writing a journal. Just do it. <laughs> there, There's a couple of things that in my journey so far that I've come across that I feel like if every human on the planet would do these things, the world would be a much safer, happier, healthy place give, give me for a every list. human to be. Give me a list. What do you think uh, people should be doing? I think everybody should journal and meditate yep. so that they can connect with what is alive inside them. And I think every human on the planet should read the book, Nonviolent Communication. Okay. Who, who wrote that? Marshall Rosenberg. I'm going to write that down. Rosenberg. Marshall Rosenberg. Yeah. Nonviolent. Got it. So like one of the, one of the fun, one of the things that comes from it is <clears throat> if we think about it, like one, like one, like, knowing our emotions and what our emotions mean. Right. And if, if we're mad or angry, that is, and should be like a, a signal that there's, there's something of ours that is a need that is going yeah. unmet. 
right? Or if you're frustrated or you're feeling anxious or, or something along those lines, if it's a, a negative emotion, that's a big sign that there's something of yours, a need of yours that's not being met. Um, if it's more a more like positive or fulfilling emotion, mm-hmm. that's a sign that something, a need of yours is being met. Right, right. And so when we can connect with our emotions on that level and learn to express them differently in terms of what our needs are and what can help fulfill that need, uh, uh. we can connect a lot better and easier. And isn't that made difficult by just going back to what you said about sometimes men uh, or very often men are taught to be something that is not healthy for them. You know, this, the definition of manhood can be quite destructive for men. Yeah. Um, You know, you're, you're, if you're a man, this is how you react when you're angry. If you're a man, this is how you react when you're met with adversity and so on and so forth. But what you're talking about now is, is pushing that aside and thinking about how to deal with those things or how to react to those things in the best uh, medicinal way for yourself, which may not fall in line with this traditional idea of manhood. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you, and when you read nonviolent communication, there's, there's all kinds of times where, where Marshall talks about times when he was able to like be like a moderator between two different groups of people that are in like significant conflict. Yeah. And like, especially when it comes to like really highly sensitive stuff like race and racism and stuff like that. And what he's able to do when he empathetically connects with each person on an individual basis and what their needs are and can better communicate that. And in doing that, you can peel back the, the anger and, and get to the root cause of the disconnection. Yeah. He talks about that with like different schools where, yeah. where he's been like, he's gone into schools and been a moderator to help. Uh, particularly a lot of the examples are like when the principal is at cahoots with the, the teaching staff and yeah. like how to get them connected. And, and cause a lot of times we don't, express really what our need is right ah communication skills i'm bothered by something but i i'm not expressing that bother properly uh in such a way as to lead to a result i'm expressing myself in a way that just uh spirals the conflict right isn't that very often what happens yeah yeah um if i if like we're uh Um, trying to like get something done at like at work and we're having conflict with our, our coworkers. Yeah. A, a lot of times like that we're not communicating some kind of expectation and, or we hold some expectation of them, right? Like being on time for a meeting is one of them. Yeah. Right. We expect you to be on time for this meeting. And then when the person's late, we're mad at them for being late. Um, maybe, maybe they are late because, uh, they just helped your mom from falling down or something like that. If your mom works at the office, uh, it's helped me deal with like road rage. That's probably a better example, right? Like 
somebody cuts me off and I'd cuss and yell and get yeah, angry and yeah, like, yeah. just be raging. And it's like this, I don't need to be like this. Yeah. Yeah. Like me cussing that person out in the car in front of me does nothing. It changes nothing. Yeah. What is my need in that moment? Right. My need is for safety. I value well, my health. I value my the safety of myself and the people in my car. But a lot of people will of say vehicle. a lot of people will say that in situations like road rage and in other situations that that whole thing called blowing off steam has a therapeutic effect for them. You know, somebody cut them off in traffic and they get angry and then they feel like they have to get rid of that anger by doing the yelling and the cursing and all that stuff. What would you say or what would what would Marshall <laughs> say say about that person who says I have to do that in order to feel better. Um, I'm definitely a big proponent of expressing yourself. Sure. And this is definitely not to stifle an expression; it's to shift how we express it. There so you go. So if somebody yeah. cuts you off in traffic, instead of yelling at that person and calling them an idiot or an asshole or something like that, and you're labeling that person, like we don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, man, name one person who's been driving for longer than one day who hasn't cut somebody off. Right. It happens. Right? All, yeah. Like yeah. you've done it. Sure. I've done it. Yeah. Like we do it by accident. Yeah. yeah. So like if I do it by accident to somebody and now am I the asshole? No, it was an accident. I like, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't see you there. I, and, or like I wasn't paying attention. So yeah. Like express yourself. But like yeah. blow the steam off. Well, I think but one like thing to label the other person. Yes, it's that, that labeling that, that is into that violent communication. Yes, and and I think that a lot of these negative um, exchanges can be avoided if people can just get back to remembering the humanity of others. Right. Uh, they're right. a person just like you. They have challenges just like you. Maybe more or less challenges, but challenges. You know, they have uh, the things that they're preoccupied with. Just like you have things that you're, pre you know, put your foot, put your foot in their shoes, put your, excuse me, put your feet in their shoes and remember their humanity, just like you would want them to remember yours. Right. So, but now to bring it back to like connecting to what is my need in that moment, right? But, yeah. My need is for safety. So I also believe in radical personal responsibility. My safety is my responsibility. So when I'm driving down the road, if I am doing anything that distracts me from being safe, a safe driver, even as little as having a conversation with the person in the car in front, with me. Yeah. Like how many times are we conversing with somebody yeah. next to us and we look over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom. Now I just jeopardized my own safety in the same way as that person cutting me off. That's kind of so a libertarian if I'm way of looking at it. I'm an asshole. It. I got to leave myself an asshole too. You wouldn't happen to be a libertarian now, would you? Um, if we're going to talk politics on that political <laughs> spectrum. I, I often see things that are, are good from both sides, but I've never been able to align so with I. either side completely. Me neither. Me neither. And if I'm being completely honest, I, I, I think that when you get to a certain point past uh, like the, the local politics, it all starts getting, it all gets kind of mushed together. Yes. Lacks integrity. Yep. Yep, it all turns into some big mushy soup that's kind of hard to. Yeah, it's a little bit, right. a little too much of the same thing. At, at one yeah. point, there is no both sides. It all becomes one big political soup. Well, and, and it's hard to, it's hard to trust the government. I mean, and I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, what do you mean you can't trust the government?" I mean, I can't trust the government because 
I think about stuff that I'm just now learning about. Yeah. Yeah. With, because of the podcast and some connections I've made with some other people who are very pro mental health, yeah. uh, some indigenous people yes, and learning some things about their culture and their history where mm. our government was taking them and trying to basically eliminate their culture. The, yeah, the, the, um, the government is crap. Is, yeah. How is this okay? The government has been the perpetuator of a lot of suffering here. And you would think that yeah. that wouldn't be the case. It definitely shouldn't be the case, but unfortunately it is. Now my inclination, my desire is to trust the government, but I'm very much a trust, but verify type of person. Uh, right. uh, you know, I, I, I need to see a track record. And which it's not a good track record. Which it's not a good track record. But but I do but I, mean, I do even But like, I do embrace the good moments. I do embrace the good moments and I will recognize and acknowledge that there are some good moments, but the general track record is not, you know, yes, the indigenous people, you know, the history of slavery, which, you know, from slavery to Jim Crow to segregation to whatever this weirdness is that we have today, you know, it's 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 not a good track record. I can tell I can tell you as an expat, as an American living outside of the United States, it breaks my heart uh, to, to see to see the division. It, it broke my heart uh, the last four years, four or five years. It was heartbreaking to see what was happening in my country and seeing how my friends started to, I, I've lost friends, not by my choice, but because of the, some of the things that I've said uh, on the podcast when addressing certain social issues and I've lost friends. They've just, they, they don't want to hear that kind of talk. And I cannot remember that America used to be like that. It used to be that you could discuss things and you could have drastically different opinions and that would be okay. It wouldn't end a friendship. It wouldn't bust up a family. Right. It wouldn't be uh, the source of violence like it is today. And it's, it right. breaks my heart to see it. It breaks. And that, and I'm not by, 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 by no means am I uh, uh, expecting or, or wishing that everyone would agree with everything I said. I'm the kind of person right. who, I mean, I, I love a great discussion. I love a great debate. And I also love disagreement because all of those things can lead to potential growth for me. So yeah, I enjoy it and I, I embrace that. And again, it's heartbreaking to see that so many people won't, will not tolerate a discussion about a controversial thing. It, they won't tolerate disagreement. They will not tolerate debate. And it's, it's, it's just heartbreaking to see that, that happening back home in the States. For sure. Yeah. I, I agree. And, and that's one of the reasons too, why I'm a big proponent of nonviolent communication. I'm going to read that book. You see, I wrote down the name it of it. I'm like going, it. I'm going to get that. And I'm going to, I'm going to have a talk with you after I've read it, man. I'm sure there's going to be a lot we can discuss there. Yeah. 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 There, there is, it's really, it's really a good book. And I like a lot of the tools in there are really effective for trying to break things like that down and having empathy for somebody who believes differently than you yes. and being able to connect with them in different things of that nature. We need more of that. You know, and like, I, like, as I get older, one of the things that I value is the ability to hold multiple perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. <laughs> none of, none of, none of, none of life is, uh, 
black and white. There's so much gray area between on every, on every subject. And if people can admit that and accept that, then the potential for growth and self-improvement is enormous because you'll stay curious. You'll stay curious. If you embrace the otherness, for sure. If you embrace the otherness of people, if you embrace the differences in thought in people, there is so much growth that can be had. I, I definitely agree. Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree. And I look at it, uh, I tend to think about stuff like that. Like I, I don't like the word mandatory very much mm. because that removes one of the most, to me, I consider one of the most fundamental ideas behind being a human and the human experience choice. is the ability for us to have autonomy and choice. Yes. And anything that's really mandatory removes that ability for somebody to that's have right. that choice. That's right. Um, and so I'm definitely a big proponent of choice and power of choice. Yeah. And I think empowering people to have that choice um, can create a healthier experience for people. If I were to never speak with you again for the next two years, and then after two years I speak with you again, how different will you be? Um, I definitely think that where I am at in my journey, my I feel like my core is finally becoming seen by myself and a mm-hmm. bit more defined. In, in who I am fundamentally. So I don't know how different I would be. I love that metaphor. very different than I was uh, several years ago. I love that However, metaphoric way of speaking. Your core will be more right. visible. Yeah. Yeah. More defined. And, yeah. Right. And, but I, I definitely won't be the same person. No. You know, and I, and I can't imagine too, like there's still, you know, my high school football coach said it was the first time that I, I really heard it was if there's, if you, you don't have like a fairly major shift in, in one or multiple, multiple beliefs that you hold every five years, then you're not learning and you're not growing and you're not open to growing and moving forward. Sounds like you had a good coach. He was very influential. Yeah. Uh, still one of the, one of the people that I keep in touch with to this day. Same here with my high school. High school. Uh, yeah. Same here with my high school football coach. That guy was, uh, uh, he made quite the impact on my young, uh, insignificant life at that time. And he's, uh, right. through the, through the beauty of social media, I still have contact with him. So yeah. 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 yeah for sure. I mean, he's definitely one of the coaches that has kind of instilled that idea in me that, you know, I have in coaching, I have the ability to impact people far beyond the sets and reps and PRs and stuff like that. Like he helped me in different ways, far beyond, you know, how to play the game of football. That's what a good coach does. And I'm sure you're doing that for your clients. Uh, I think I told you on the, on the telephone, I, I felt almost felt like I knew you people talk about you, about what you do. Uh, in the powerlifting world, uh, as, as a coach. And then of course, you know, you, 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 you have the, the, the honor and the, the privilege to be working for, for RTS 
And that's not a paid advertisement either. RTS, for those who don't know, they 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 kick ass in the in the coaching world, in the powerlifting world. Um, so I've known what you do and 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 kind of what you're all about. But again, when I listened to that first podcast episode of yours, I was like, this guy. Uh, I I felt the brotherhood. I felt the kinship. Um, right. You and I share a lot of of, of traits. Uh, you and I share a lot of um, elements in our background. And I just knew you were going to be the kind of person I would enjoy talking with. And sure enough, I've enjoyed talking with you. Um, Likewise, man. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Before we wind this up, I want you to look into your camera, if you would, please. Um, there's at least one person out there, you know, who knows how many hundreds or how many thousands of people are either watching or listening to this episode. Right. Um, tell them something that you think can help them to carry on. Tell them something that you think can lift them on their own personal journey for self-betterment, self-improvement. And I believe, let me just say this before you do that. I believe, uh, because a lot of people, I've been accused of being somewhat of an egoist because I talk so much about what I'm trying to do to improve myself. But you touched on that earlier. Uh, you said you cannot, um, you cannot, um, uh, you can't, something to the effect of you can't provide a drink from an empty cup. And right. I, I believe that the stronger I am physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, the better foundation I have from which to help others. Mm-hmm. Um, so to see that you seem to think the exact same thing, you're on this thing where you're bettering yourself, but you're giving that back to those around you. So, Give back to anybody who may be watching or listening. Go. The a journey of like self-care and healing is a tough journey, but it's worth it. And just know that like when you're when you're in that point when something feels really uncomfortable and it feels really hard, lean into that discomfort and lean into that hardship because that is the sign that something is about to have a breakthrough to the next level. Avoiding that discomfort, avoiding and trying to fall back into the comfort zone, you're not going to grow. Your your ability to grow is just beyond that. You have like the comfort zone, the fear zone, and the growth zone. So when you start feeling that lack of comfort and you start feeling uncomfortable, that's exactly where you need to be lean into it, embrace it, accept it, acknowledge it and let it be and acknowledge how you're doing and how you're feeling. And it's going to take you to the next level of growth. And when you do that, when you finally make that choice to commit to yourself and you lean into that first fear zone, that first layer, it starts and things start spiraling upward and it's going to impact and improve your life experience in every facet and every aspect. If you're a dad, it's going to help you have a better relationship with being a dad with your better relationship with your kid, better relationship with your partner uh, in every single way, shape and form. It's going to continue to upwardly spiral your life. Ross, that's some beautiful stuff, man. That's some real talk right there. Um, what can I say? Thanks, man. You're welcome. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. 
It's been my pleasure. It's been my honor. I got nothing but love for you. Uh, I call you friend. I call you brother. Likewise. Likewise, my brother. Ross Leppola, everybody. Bye now. <laughs>